Hi there, and welcome to another episode of West Obsessed, where the writers and editors of High Country News discuss issues critical to the health of the American West. I'm Brian Calvert, the managing editor of High Country News, and I'm in the studios of our partner for the show, KVNF, in Paonia, Colorado. We have a really interesting show today uh, on one of the most divisive issues currently in the West, and probably in our country. Uh, That is, of course, the presidential election and the rise of the Republican candidate, Donald Trump. We recently just finished up a whole issue dedicated to the election and uh, especially the effect that Trump is having on Western politics. Uh, And to talk about that today, I'm joined by Elizabeth Shogren, our Washington, D.C. correspondent, and Paige Blankenbuehler, our assistant editor here in Paonia. Hi, guys. Hi, Brian. Hello. Uh, I want to get into our reporting on this in just a second. But before we start, I think I should explain a bit where this issue came from. You know, about a year ago, we started seeing the Trump candidacy and uh, that whole presidential run, and we watched that all the way through the the primaries. Then, you know, it was pretty interesting, and we started to wonder, I think, pretty early what kind of effect that would have on the politics of of the West. But it was kind of hard to get a hold of um, until it really sort of settled into some of the big questions on uh, get out the vote stuff, and also once Trump was really nominated. So we started to approach this in our reporting from um, a really a, a, a bipartisan stance just to ask what Trump's candidate was doing to people, uh, either Democrats or Republicans. What we found is that a lot of Trump's attitudes and public speeches were pushing people either away from the Republican Party or were sort of straining their relationship with it. And then they were it was driving more and more people to vote and I think actually even to become citizens. We started to ask what that would look like up and down the tickets, uh, not just for the presidential race, obviously, but um, just where, where that might have an impact on local elections or local electorate or even in state elections. So we started looking around for ways to explore that. We did end up dedicating most of the issue to sort of the Trump factor, because while it's true that Hillary Clinton, who's the Democratic nominee, uh, is unpopular with many voters, her run for president has essentially followed the norms of political discourse. Uh, it's done very little to change this broad picture of the West in the way that uh, Trump Trump's run has. So um, you know, many people in the Republican Party uh, feel like he doesn't represent the party's values, so that's got an effect there. So we just thought we would take a lot of time to examine this sort of incredible rise to sort of power and prominence of this of this one person. One of the main ways we did this is we sent Elizabeth from Washington, D.C., where she is now, uh, out to Arizona to get on the ground. Uh, And we had Paige sort of looking more broadly at these sort of get-out-the-vote efforts, especially among Latinos, because, uh, you know, some of Trump's rhetoric has really sort of pushed things in that direction. Elizabeth, maybe we'll start with you. Maybe just talk a little bit about your story in the magazine, kind of why we wanted to go to Arizona and, and what you found once you got there. Well, I was really interested in what is going on in Arizona, starting with what I saw happen here in Washington, D.C., and that is that Senator Flake from Arizona was the first Republican, and still really in large large ways, the only Republican who's really stood up to Trump. Flake is a young man. He wants to be a politician for a very long time, and he's very aware of the diverse group of population in and growing Latino population in his state. 
And he's worked very hard to try to get Republicans to be more inclusive. And he's been very disappointed in general in the Republican Party failing to follow through on what they had supposedly learned after their last loss to President Obama. And also um, when he saw Trump on the rise, he was very disturbed by that. He's spoken out to Trump's face about it. He's asked him to step back from his rhetoric and for, from his policies that are against immigration and also against Latinos. And he's got nowhere with the GOP standard bearer, which has been very frustrating for him. He says he's he's told me in interviews that he's not going to vote for Trump. And he believes that that Trump is going to have a negative impact in Arizona on down ticket races. And so I was very curious. I wanted to go to Arizona to see what it was that was motivating Senator Flake to be such a standout on the political scene. And that's why I picked Arizona. And then, of course, I was very interested in what was going on in Latino communities and also what is going on in those down ticket races that that um, Senator Flake was concerned about. And so I went to the urban area around Phoenix, which is where a lot of the Latino population is located. And in fact, there's a there's a coffee shop just outside of Phoenix in a town called Avondale, west of downtown, and it's become a bit of a hub of democratic activism there. Literally, there is a, a local Democratic Party headquarters there on the second floor, surrounded by this kind of royal blue uh, wraparound porch. And on the first floor, there's a truly cheery coffee shop um, serving everything from, you know, a regular cup of coffee or uh, to a latte to commuters on their way into Phoenix. And also, it's become a gathering point. And when I was there, um, in the morning, it was a, a gathering point for a group of Latino politicians and movers and shakers who are really trying to push their state towards purple and blue. And they were meeting with the um, Democratic Senate candidate, um, Ann Kirkpatrick. And she was there trying to woo their support, and they were there trying to woo her support. It was kind of a mutual thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll jump a little bit around here because the, these things did kind of interlock as we were sort of reporting them out. And um, so, uh, Paige, you were looking more broadly at what was happening inside get-out-the-vote efforts, especially with uh, Latino and other minority voters. And you found something really interesting, which was this non-documented folks were still doing sort of get-out-the-vote efforts. Um, and maybe you could just talk a little bit about where in this bigger picture this Arizona is sitting. There's, you know, I think there's, um, you know, it's just a really interesting time uh, for political constituencies. Maybe just walk a little bit through sort of what you found, broadly speaking, in the West with this kind of, um, with Latino voters especially. Sure. Um, so we started looking at this as soon as it became clear, which became clear really early on, that Donald Trump had this really anti-Latino, anti-immigrant stance at the at the center of his campaign. And in the West, these populations are growing so much. Like it's been pretty well known for the last couple of years within um, Latino politics that candidates cannot just ignore these populations. They need to you know, they need to cater to them. They need to campaign in those communities. So having Donald Trump just really turn his back against that community so early on in his campaign, we were interested in how that would impact Latino populations across the West that are growing and growing and growing. Um, so I began noticing um, a lot of mobilization among undocumented immigrants. And these people are called dreamers because they are at the center of this 
this act that failed before Senate in 2010 to get relief as uh, as immigrants. And it's really interesting to watch them because they themselves cannot vote, but they're really, really effective in appealing to their friends, their families, their eligible peers who might not even be registered to vote. just wanted to point out that we have from Center for American Progress and the 2015 census, the projected non-white eligible voters across some Western states. So just to kind of give an example of how this trend is happening and why I think Republicans and Democrats both in the West want to respond to this. New Mexico is moving toward, you know, let's move it to 2056, let's say, if you're kind of looking way out there. Um, 77% of New Mexico's voters are projected to be non-white voters. In Nevada, that number is 67%. In Arizona, that number is 61%. In Colorado, where we're based, that number is 48%. Uh, And in Utah, that number is 34%, which um, those are all lines that are trending up pretty quickly. And so, you know, I think the the idea of dreamers trying to get out the vote and um, people sort of actually some people wanting to become documented citizens so that they could <laughs> go vote they hadn't been you know they've been living in the United States for a very long time and they are still sort of okay well we want to now maybe we should vote now in that sort of context and these kinds of get out the vote efforts then Elizabeth that's kind of how you sort of landed at this this coffee shop the Cafe Royale right so you have these sort of a lot of potential voting power that's that's kind of untapped and it's a little bit it's a reservoir that's kind of unknown because I think you called it in your reporting or at least in our discussions a kind of a sleeping giant well, maybe you could talk about how that plugs into the Arizona politics and, and and take us back to that cafe right so what I saw in this cafe was an incredibly dynamic group of individuals men and women all Latinos who were who are really plugged into their communities and they believe very strongly that their communities would benefit quite dramatically if Democrats won more congressional races and could take back in their terms the Senate and also keep the White House in Democratic hands. And they see the way that impacts their communities with trickle downs. Now, of course, it's also important to them, very important to them to get more and more Democrats into the State House, because in Arizona, Republicans command both chambers of the state legislature. And so even though there are a growing number of Latinos in the legislature, nearly all of them are Democrats, and they have very little power because the majority rules there. So there, um, it is interesting to see how much they see the connection between federal, state, and local politics. That was eye-opening for me to see just how um, how savvy they all are. And, um, and so they really want Kirkpatrick to take McCain's seat away from him. McCain has had that seat for more than 30 years, and he's really a very powerful Republican in many ways, and, um, and has had, a, of course, his name recognition is very, very high in Arizona, and it makes it very hard for him to be defeated, even though he's 80 years old. And he also is determined not to be defeated. That element was alive during that incredibly lively discussion where it's back and forth from the local to the national stage. And the the individuals there were truly interesting. Many of them were in the midst of their own races, 
for school board or for one of them won during the primary, they, they determined that who would be the winner for uh, the neighboring town, Tolleson's um, mayor. This woman, Anna Tovar, um, beat out uh, the, the seating mayor who had been there for more than 20 years. So that was something, and she credited that to the turnout rate in um, her area, which was quite high, much higher than usual. And she says in turn that that all has to do, um, that all um, derives from the, um, the, the feeling that local people have that, that uh, Donald Trump um, has, it's like a backlash to Donald Trump and the power that he's exhibiting in this presidential race. And they have a, their own kind of Donald Trump's doppelganger in their own area, which is Sheriff Joe Arpaio. He's the sheriff of Maricopa County. And he has made it very difficult for Latinos for a very long time there. And he's um, running for reelection. And so there's a backlash against him as well in the Latino community. So they're seeing um, a, quite a big increase in voter turnout, uh, in um, registrations for voting. And there was an increase in voter turnouts in the primary. And so um, seven, there are 7% more Democratic voters in, um, in the state. Um, registered to vote, uh, and there are more than um, 70,000 more Democrats just in Maricopa County than there were in 2012. So what's, what, what remains to be seen, however, is whether these additional voters and already re registered voters will use their might uh, on election day. And that is a big question in lots of people's minds, including the political scientists I talked to, the, the ones who study the local election dynamics very dramatically, as well as the politicians. You know, they are really worried that Latinos are not going to use their political might um, come election day. Right. And that I'm sure. Uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign has has sent a team in there and is spending money trying to crack that nut. The voter turnout has been low for the Latino community, and it remains to be seen whether this will be different. Right, and I think it's an, it's important to point out. I mean, there's a there's also been an uptick in Republican registered voters. Um, it's not quite as fast as uh, Democratic uh, registrations, uh, and, um, and I think you know, you also spoke to McCain on, on the campaign trail who was like, yeah, people always say this. They're always saying that the state's going to turn and it never does. And it's not going to this time. It's really this weird unknown of like how this upswell may or may not happen. And it, you can only find out like kind of on election day. What's your feeling? Yeah. So this whole sleeping giant term has really latched on for, I think, a, a good reason. We've been seeing these Latin populations grow so much and they have so much potential politically, but they are one of the demographics that turn out the lowest when it's actually election day. But um, from my reporting and a lot of people I've talked to, there's this really vigorous energy behind um, registering to vote in the get out the vote effort. And that is really because of Donald Trump. He's created this really, really interesting backdrop that's inspiring a lot of people. Um, and that's because the stakes have never been higher for people like um, my main source, Juan Gallegos, who's an undocumented immigrant youth. He is politically active and really campaigning in the Denver area, but he can't even vote himself. What he's doing, though, is calling Latin Americans all across the country in Colorado, Nevada, and New Mexico, urging them to vote. And it's working. I mean, in all of those states, more and more people are registering to vote within the Latino voting bloc which is one of the lowest anyway. So if there's any 
chance that we would see that group really wake up and achieve some of that potential that they obviously have, I think a Donald Trump campaign and potential presidency could do it. Uh, this is just a reminder, if you're tuning in, you're listening to West Obsessed. Uh, this is where the writers and editors of High Country News discuss issues critical to the American West. Uh, I'm Brian Calvert. I'm the managing editor. I'm here with our D.C. correspondent, Elizabeth Shogren, and our assistant editor, Paige Blankenbuehler. I felt like when we first started reporting these stories, um, it was hard to kind of understand exactly how it's going to play out, and we still don't really know. We just kind of have these indications that things are happening. And so in your reporting, Elizabeth, you, you met a man named Bill Mundell, who um, had been really kind of affected by these sort of uh, national-level politics, but also stuff happening in the state. And I wonder if you could just talk about um, his, his story for a second. Yes, Bill Mundell's story was so compelling to me. Uh, he is um, a lifelong Republican. He served um, many years on the state legislature and also in the Corporation Commission, which is an elected body in Arizona, which basically regulates the electric electric utilities and other utilities. So he's um, he's a lifelong Republican whose wife was the first Latina judge uh, in Arizona, Barbara Rodriguez Mundell. And so he had been um, watching Trump's rise with alarm. His, his um, wife is a Latina and his his daughters are Latinas. And, um, and he was outraged by what he was hearing from Trump on the campaign trail. And Last summer, he told me he was the fence. Like, what does this mean to me? He had, by that time, basically retired from politics. But, of course, he, he's a, a human being, and he could not pay attention to what was going on. And he said it was for him the straw that broke the camel's back, that made him decide that, in fact, um, if if my party is, is going to um, rally behind this man, I it's not my party anymore. And so he decided he didn't belong in the Republican Party anymore, and he remembered sitting down with his laptop and changing his registration. It was a very momentous moment for him. And um, uh, it, and a lot of things went into that. And, and it was largely in backlash to Trump, in reaction to Trump. But it was also because he, his family had been um, really harassed uh, by uh, Joe Arpaio, by Sheriff Arpaio, when his wife was a seating judge. and. Arpaio had had actually literally filed a lawsuit against her and and accused her of racketeering. And in the end, the county settled with this family for um, half a million dollars. So it was completely a trumped up lawsuit against this woman, the judge. And in addition to that, he he recalled to me how um, they would see um, unmarked trooper cars in front of their house, Crown Victorias, and other law enforcement officials would tell them, yes, that's the sheriff's um, men. They're out there harassing your family. And he had to tell his daughter that she might be um, subject to, you know, men coming into her bedroom and, and rifling through her things because that was kind of the way Arpaio's crew was doing things. And it was so disturbing to their family. And one of the most disturbing things to him was as a Republican, he, he saw that no Republicans in the state stood up for the family and said, whoa, Joe Arpaio, back off. That instead they were just, they were just com um, complacent to this kind of really rough behavior of, of Sheriff Arpaio's. And those things combined together to turn Bill Mundell into a Democrat. 
And as soon as he became a Democrat, the Democrats went courting for him and, and asked him to run as a Democrat uh, to be a member of the Corporation Commission again. And so he's running for re-election to the Corporation Commission, but now as a Democrat. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a fascinating story. I want to take a step back and say that, you know, what we're seeing in this election is a lot more emotions are getting mixed in into just uh, races up and down the ticket across all the states. In a way, it's it's kind of it's difficult to report some of some of these things because you're you're meeting people with these compelling stories. They're, they've got this sort of emotional reaction to what's going on. Uh, and you're really seeing how that's feeding into politics. Um, and, you know, I, I think um, there's an interesting sort of Trump factor inside of that where, um, you know, people who are the supporters of Donald Trump, and obviously he has many, have also similar sort of emotional attachments to the election. And so I think this is going to be, you know, it's, as, as things go on, and, and especially here in the West, we, you know, it is pretty uh, it is pretty tough. We live in we live in communities where um, these these politics can really heat up. And I know, uh, you know, I mean, I haven't really had a conversation with my dad yet about his Facebook feeds. But th- those kinds of things, I think, are happening <laughs> across across the West where you're sort of, um, you know, um, there's this other sort of waking giant, frankly. And that's sort of this interesting sort of support for Trump from um, uh, a lot of disenfranchised people. So I, I think that's something that we're um, definitely watching. And then, you know, it says that you, you are seeing um, Trump's appeal also playing out. But uh, I thought another interesting sort of aspect of our reporting was that we looked at Utah, where it's not really, there are some big questions for the um, uh, Mormon voters actually there um, who also don't really see Trump as representative of their values, but they're so staunchly Republican that, you know, the, they, they really don't want to see some of the things that Hillary Clinton is bringing to the race. They don't want to see that happen either. So so just a small side note on Trump's kind of having a, a weird effect in Mormon communities as well. And so we've sort of reported on that. Paige, getting back to some of some of your reporting, do you feel like in communities around the West and these other states, um, you do have a sleeping giant factor? What else do you think we're seeing from from people from from voters? What kind of effects do you think Trump is having? Well, like you said at the very beginning of this show, it's extremely divisive and emotional. I mean, I think right now we're at a moment where our country sort of desires that populist politics. And we're seeing that resonate with a lot of people in the West and in the country, which has been this really interesting backdrop to the rise of Donald Trump. Um, (laughs) Among young people, Bernie Sanders really struck a chord. He's no longer in the race. So there's a lot of um, people that aren't really sure what to do. You have these two really, really interesting candidates running for president that are um, pretty disliked generally, and um, there's a lot of mis- or distrust for them. Um, so within young people, um, where you have this opportunity to put a woman in office for the first time, where you would think that would really strike a chord as a progressive sort of politics, that's not resonating as much as you think it would be. So that's just a really interesting factor. I can't wait to see that play out. Mm-hmm. 
during election and I'm having a lot of interesting conversations with my roommates and my friends, um, people I went to college with and people I went to school with and grew up with. And all of those conversations are really different. Like it's amazing how um, how people can think so differently in one place versus another place or growing up just ever so slightly differently. Um, and even conversations within my family, I've had to just kind of turn the switch off on that occasionally. <laughs> And, and Elizabeth, maybe I would throw that over to you because you kind of have a perch from Washington, D.C. Um, in, in lawmakers from Western states, do you kind of get a sense of how this sort of divisiveness or this emotionality of, of, of this race or of this political season is, is playing out? That's a really good question. I mean, I do get a sense that this election is different, not just between the parties, but within the Democratic Party. Um, in, in an interesting way, I think there might be a little bit more cohesion in the, among Democrats um, than there might be. You know, there are great, um, great differences um, among Democrats. And I'll, I'll just talk to this one example um, where um, uh, Raul Grijalva from Arizona, a representative in the U.S. Congress, is very liberal, and Ann Kirkpatrick is more conservative. And um, you know, um, he called me like I hadn't called him. He called me to to confirm um, a data point. Um, she was referencing something that had happened several years ago, and she couldn't find the documentation for it. So she called him and had him kind of speak up for her. And, um, you know, just called me unannounced. And, and that that showed to me this way that they're working together, Democrats from basically different uh, different sides of the political strata, because I think they do see just how much at stake is at stake here. And I think that that's one of the things that um, is true about this election is that people um, in the political sector really get that there is an enormous amount at stake here, much more than there is in most presidential elections. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's just one of those things that's been surprising a lot of people for, you know, more than a year now, continues to surprise people. And when you're going, kind of upsetting this sort of political norms and and and, and big political structures like an entire party is kind of having to reevaluate itself and maybe even the Democratic Party is having to reevaluate how it's doing things because if it's not really able to capitalize on on what's happening now, um, I think there's going to be a lot of questions that the Democrats are going to be asking themselves too. Um, yeah, obviously, this is a this is a really really interesting um, election. It's it's very intense for a lot of people. Um, I, I do think it has this sort of uh, power to be very divisive. Um, and uh, you know, I, I I just think from from our magazine's perspective, we're just we're really trying to figure out what it what it means for the West um, writ large. And you know, we still after all this reporting, it's just a little unclear what's what's going to happen. Um, but uh, you know, we're going to keep an eye on it as it unfolds. Um, yeah. In the meantime, you can read all of our coverage about uh, uh, the elections on our website. That's hcn.org. Um, that's all we have time for today. Thanks again to our partner on the show, KVNF. Um, thanks to our DC correspondent, Elizabeth Shogren. Thanks for being here, Elizabeth. My pleasure. And uh, and our assistant editor, Paige Blankenbuehler. Thanks, Paige. Thank you. Uh, and thank you all, uh, as ever, for listening. Uh, for West Obsessed in Paonia, Colorado, I'm Brian Calvert. 